we've come around the Word of God. And uh, the last eight weeks, we have journeyed through the Beatitudes together as a church. And week after week, we've had uh, we've heard message after message, incredible uh, uh, exposition of God's word and exegesis. We've heard heart-hitting message after heart-hitting message. There's been an unpacking of the Beatitudes. We took a deep plunge into what is meant to be our everyday reality. It's been an eight weeks of self-inventory whereby we've had to seriously ask ourselves the questions, do we look like we are part of the kingdom of heaven or not? But if you're anything like me, you'd probably come out of them eight weeks and you're like, I get it. You know, be poor in spirit, mourning, be meek, be hungry and thirsting, uh, be merciful, be pure in heart, peacemakers and persecutors. That's all cute. But what now? What do we do now? And I mean, we went through Hebrew and Greek words. We went through principles of exegesis, studying historical context of passages, observing patterns, interrogating scripture, um, allowing scripture to interpret scripture. We went through some testimonies. We've worked really hard through the Beatitudes. I mean, our hearts and our minds would have had gone to work these past few weeks, digesting the word of God, breaking it down into smaller parts, mulling over the word of God, meditating over it and allowing the word of God to nourish even the parts of our souls, the innermost parts of our beings, the deepest parts of our being that no one knows about, the deepest parts of our beings that only you and God know about, the parts that long for nourishment that food alone can't even provide. But I come away from the Beatitudes and I'm like, okay, so what now? And so if you're asking that question as well, let's go to the Word of God and encourage ourselves this morning. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. I'm reading from the NASB version. Here's what it says. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Today's message is titled Salt and Light. It's really important to understand that the Beatitudes, they describe the traits of every single person who calls themselves a disciple, a believer, a follower of Jesus. But then Jesus goes on to use salt and light as a metaphor to define the nature of the influence of these people called the disciples. The Beatitudes show us your character, but the salt and light shows us your influence. The two are organically related to one another. Therefore, I want to say to you this morning that your influence then depends on your character. And I think it's quite interesting how Jesus uses two domestic metaphors, light and salt, to define the nature of the influence of the disciple. Every home in biblical times, regardless of how rich or how poor, they would have had to use salt and light at some point. Jesus himself probably had to see, you know, his parents use salt and light in his life. And you see, the light and salt have a lot to say about the church and the world. They speak to the distinction between the church and the world. And the basic truth that the, the portion of scripture communicates to us today is that the church and the world are two distinct communities. In other words, you should be able to absolutely tell the church from the world. Because on the one hand, you've got the earth, 
But on the other hand, there's you, the salt. On one hand, you've got the world, but on the other hand, there's you, the light of the world. And so whilst both of these communities, the church, you and the world, they are related to each other, their relatedness depends on their distinctness. Let's take salt, for instance. Depending on what you needed it for, salt was both a condiment and also a preservative. And as a condiment, salt is used to flavor our food, season our food. Salt gives our food flavor. It's referred to as a binder and a stabilizer. You can also call it an enhancer because salt enhances the flavors in a dish. Now, as a preservative, salt is used to preserve food. Centuries before refrigerators were made, they would use salt to preserve food. And so they would rub piece, uh, the salt on pieces of meat in order to keep it wholesome and prevent it from spoiling. Salt preserves food. Now, when you think about the world that we live in, everything often decays. Buildings often decay and they need renovation. Cars decay and they need repairs. Everything that is man-made often decays. But even man ideas decay. Man-made philosophical ideas decay. Man-made traditions, they lead to decay. Man-made strategies and rules, they decay. The world's version of happiness and peace and joy and love and security ultimately leads to decay. And so the world demonstrates a constant tendency to decay, to spoil, to deteriorate. And therefore, it needs something outside of itself to stop it from going bad, to stop it from spoiling, to stop it from rotting. The world is going to need salt introduced from outside of itself in order to hinder its decay. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. The idea is not that the world is tasteless and we need more Christians out there making it more flavorful. No, the idea is that the world is going rotten. The world is decaying. The world is spoiling and it cannot stop itself from going bad. And so you being the light of the world, you embodying the Beatitudes, you simply being who God has called you to be is going to arrest the process of social decay. You are the salt of the earth. Not because you talk holy, not because you act saved. You're the salt because Jesus lives inside of you. And so the difference that you make and the change that you bring to society is not of your own doing, but it flows from Christ living inside of you. But then Jesus goes on to say, if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on uh, by people. The effectiveness of the salt is conditional. Jesus is letting us know that in order for the salt to be effective in what it does, it has to retain its saltiness. The thing about sodium chloride is that it's a very uh, stable chemical compound. But even then, it can still become contaminated when mixed with impurities. And what happens is when salt becomes contaminated, it can start to lose its saltiness. You can't make it salty again. It's no longer good for anything. And so it gets thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. You know, many scholars of the word believe that the salt here in the passage that Jesus is referring to is the character of the disciple, your Christ-likeness as depicted in the Beatitudes. Because of that then, it means that just like salt, to be an effective Christian, we must retain our Christ-likeness. When we become assimilated to the world and contaminated by the impurities of the world, we start to lose our influence. 
You see, we can't influence the world when we look like the world. Because to influence something or someone is to have an effect on their character, their development and their behavior that then leads them to change and want to look like you. How can you influence someone when you look identical? The answer is you can't. And so your influence as a disciple on society is dependent on you being distinct. Your relatedness to the world is dependent on your distinctness. In other words, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And if you're a disciple of Jesus in this place, I came to let you know today that God has called you to be the salt of the earth. You're not called to be of no use and therefore thrown out. You're not created to be a footpath for people to trample on. No, you are a salt. You're the salt of the earth. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you've gone to use the salt and then you, you try to shake the salt out and nothing seems to come out. So then you've got to open the salt, get a toothpick and kind of wiggle the salt around at the bottom, close it up again and then you shake the salt and then suddenly all the salt comes out. But they've just comfortably clumped together as a team at the bottom of the salt shaker. The challenge that I want to put to you this morning is this, brace yourself because this might hurt a little bit. If you're called to be the salt, then it's time to get out of the salt shaker. Some of us have gotten so comfortable. We've clumped together at the bottom of the salt shaker and we're saying, I'm good right here in the four walls of the church. I'm good, juices, peace out. I'm, I'm fine right here. And so we've seen salt come in, in the salt shaker and we've seen salt go out of the salt shaker and they've been effective. They've been used, but we're right there at the bottom just holding on, holding on because we're afraid, holding on because of fear of the unknown. We're holding on because uh, we're comfortable there. Church, the salt isn't created to just sit in the container. Jesus didn't say that you're the salt for the container. He didn't even say that you're salt for decorative purposes. No, Jesus said you're the salt of the earth. The salt is created to be used outside of the container. And so if you're going to influence the world for Jesus, if you're going to make a difference in society, if you've been called to be the salt of the earth, then it's time to get out of the salt shaker. Step out of your comfort zone. Step out of your norms. Step out of status quo. And step into a lost and dying world. Step into a world that's decaying. Step into a world that is desperate for Jesus and be the salt. Hallelujah to God. You don't have to do nothing but simply be the salt. You don't have to pretend to be something. You just got to be the salt. You don't even have to create nothing. You just simply be the salt. Tap the person next to you and say, it's time for you to shake on out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's time for you to shake on out of here. Don't get cozy up in here. There's not enough room in the salt shaker for all of us just to get comfortable and huddle together. It's time to get out of the salt shaker and be the salt of the earth. And so to be the salt of the earth is to arrest the process of decay in the world. In other words, being the salt means bringing salvation, bringing the hope of Jesus into the world by simply being. Secondly, let's look at the light. Jesus uses light as a metaphor. You know, in a Palestinian home, the lamp used would be made of clay. And this lamp was like the shape of a teapot. And so it had a hole on the top of it with, you know, opening at the top for you to be able to pour the oil in. But it also had a spout. And in the spout, it had this... Um, place for the wick or the cotton to be set. And these lamps were quite small, and so they'd give, you know, limited light. But if you wanted this lamp to give you maximum illumination in the room, you would place it on a, on a, high, on a high level. 
And because many Jewish homes were like one room structures, the elevated lamp then would give light to everyone who was in the room. The need for light, the need for light is very clear. The light would help to light up a dark room. The light would help you to see where you are going. And as we look at the world today, what we're seeing is a world that is slowly growing dim. The world is becoming a dark place with little or uh, no light of its own. And the world can constantly talk about the enlightenment as much as it wants to, but its boasted light is, in reality is nothing but darkness. But because of its darkness, the world needs external source of light to illuminate it. Throughout scripture, you see the contrast between darkness and light. And this contrast provokes a metaphorical, profound metaphorical uh, contrast between good and bad, God and evil, believers and unbelievers. But Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, I am the light of the world. He lets us know that he is the light who has come into the world, that whoever believes in him need not abide in darkness anymore. And so in the same way that Jesus' life and message of salvation bring light to everyone in darkness, his disciples are a living demonstration of that light as well. Jesus goes on to say that because you're the light, it's so obvious, it's like a city that sits on a hill that simply cannot be hidden. Not only that, but no one in their right mind would light a lamp and then place it under a basket where it is concealed. The light would be placed in a, on a lampstand, giving light to everyone who was in the room. Some scholars of the word say that Jesus clarifies what light is in this passage. He says, let your light so shine before men. Then he goes on to say that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Our good works, therefore, are an outward and visible manifestation of Jesus, the light who lives inside of us. And so there's been much debate about what these good works may be that Jesus is referring to. Some say that it's everything that a Christian says or does. Some say that the good works actually refers to evangelism, proclamation of the gospel. Some say that the good deeds has to be practical, visible deeds of compassion. But one of our greatest issues is that we always try to narrow things down to one thing and create lists and categories, but you will find that this only leads to ritual and religion. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that perhaps these good deeds that Jesus is talking about is anything that we think, say, or do that expresses our loyalty to God and our love for others. And so whether it's how we talk, whether it's how we walk, whether it's how we think, whether it's how we serve our community, whether it's how we give, whether it's how we serve, uh, care for others, our evangelism, working with integrity, our honesty and our dealings with one another. When any of these things is an expression of our loyalty to God and love for people, then you best believe that our light is shining brightly and the darkness will start to dispel and disappear because of the light that is shining. And it's not shining like a town or a village nesting in the valley whose lights are concealed from view. No, it's shining like a town built on a hill which cannot be hidden, whose lights are clearly seen for everyone uh, for, for miles around. And you best believe that was shining like a light that's been set on a stand in a prominent position in the house, bringing light to everyone in the house. This means that as a disciples of Jesus, we are not going to conceal the truth that we know or the truth of who we are. We are not to pretend to be other than we are, but be willing for our Christianity, our Christ-likeness, our light to be visible to all because any community that professes to be followers of Jesus yet seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. 
So everyone who is a believer in this place, you ought to be yourself. You ought to be your true Christian self. You ought to be open to openly live the life described in the Beatitudes. You ought not to be ashamed of Jesus. And here's why. When people see us and our good works, they will glorify God. They will inevitably recognize that it is by the grace of God alone that we are what we are, that our light is His light, and that what we do is what He does in us and through us. And here's my favorite part about that church. And so it is the light that they will praise, not the lamp who bears it. It is our Father in heaven whom they will glorify, not the children who exhibit a certain likeness, family likeness. It is the Creator whom they will worship and not creation. And so to a world that is growing darker each and every day, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Mamatai, you are the light of the world. Abe, you are the light of the world. Brian Hooker, you are the light of the world. Uncle Sam, you are the light of the world. Ash, you are the light of the world. And so to a world that is growing darker each and every day, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You know, in John 9 verse 5, Jesus says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light. He said, I am. He goes on to say, I am the door. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am. First of all, I am. Not I was, not I will be. He said, I am. Moses said, who shall I say sent me when they ask? And God said, I am. And the same I am that answered Moses is saying, I am. Moses saw him in a burning bush and the disciples saw him walking around in flesh because he's still the same I am. He said, I am the light of the world. And the same Jesus who says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. is the same Jesus who is saying to you today, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. God is saying to some of you today, what I did in you, I did it to expose, to uncover, to reveal, to let shine. That means that you don't get to hide because you don't like people. You're the light of the world. That means that you don't get to hide because you're shy. No, you are the light of the world. You cannot hide what God has done in you because of your past. You are the light of the world. And the Bible says, let your light so shine. Come on, somebody. You have to let your light shine. There are people in this room who have something that God has given to you, a light, but you choose to hide it because you're afraid. I'm calling you out this morning. I call your ministry out. I call your gifts out. I call your talents out. I call your anointing out. I call your giftings out of the shadows. This is a morning that you are walking and coming out of the shadows to walk in the light. God didn't do everything that He did for you so that you could hide your light under a bushel. I call you out of your comfort zone this morning. Whether they talk about you or not, whether they bring up up your past or not, whether they scoff and mock and laugh at you, whether your ex is in this church with a new man's or not, come out, come out, come out. Come out of the shadows, come out of hiding, come out of the camouflage. You weren't created to be lit up and then hidden under a basket. You were created to be lit and placed on a prominent position in the house so that your light could bring light to everybody who was in the room. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I feel a release in this place today. You don't get to just come to church and watch everybody else's light shine. No, you've got a light. You ought to let it shine too. You ought to tap yourself and say, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And so to be the light, 
is to dispel the darkness in the world. Actually, to be the light is to bring glory to God. Can I ask the keys to join me? As we look at the metaphor salt and light, we see that they are deliberately phrased in order to be parallel to one another. In each case, Jesus first makes an affirmation and he says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, you are the light of the world. And then he adds a condition on which the affirmation depends. And he says, the salt must retain its saltiness and the light must be allowed to shine. Salt is good for nothing if its saltiness is lost. Light is good for nothing if it is being concealed. And so here's your practical application of today's message. Whenever you start to find your light starting to dim, whenever you start to feel like you are losing your Christ-likeness, go all the way back and start with beatitude number one. Go all the way back and start with beatitude number one. You see, you need to realize you don't need more things to do. You don't need more rules to follow. You don't need more rituals to perform. You just simply go back and embody the Beatitudes. But you also need to know this morning that as you do, the direct fruit of your embodying the Beatitudes is that to the earth, you become like salt. To the world, you will become like a light. And this then is the great desirability of the good and Christ-like life that we see in the Beatitudes. Not only does Jesus call it blessed, but it brings salvation to others and ultimately glory to God. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you will continue to use us as salt and light to this lost and dying world, oh God. Use us in any way you choose, oh Lord. Father, we are available to you. Send us, oh Lord. Use us. And Father, right now, I just pray over anybody who is still wrestling, Lord, with letting their light shine. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that there will be such a release. Holy Spirit, do that which only you can do. Father, I pray that we would come out of our comfortability, oh God. That we would be a church, Lord, who don't just be comfortable within our four walls, but God, that we would be prepared to go and be salt and light in the world, oh God. We thank you, Lord, for using us. We thank you, God, for calling us. We honor you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Don, for a great word. Your family, Pastor Don, said that uh, the world we live in is in a world of constant decay and rotting and declining. Your entropy tells us that everything breaks down, everything diminishes and decays. But every even, for every even philosophy and idea of this world, family, diminishes and decays and is merely fleeting and circumstantial. And the Bible tells us that even humanity, outside of the cross, the Bible says, is in a, is in a state of perishing. But family, there is one truth that will preserve you in the midst of a dying and rotting world. There is one truth that you can stand firm in in the midst of fleeting philosophies and ideologies. There is one truth that will rescue you from perishing and grant you eternal life. And that is the truth of the gospel. 
Friend, listen, God wants you to be preserved. He wants you to live your life on, on solid rock of the truth of his word. He wants you to be preserved and know him and have eternal life. But the Bible teaches that something has severed us from that provision. Something has severed us from knowing God. And that something is what the Bible calls sin. Sin separates from us from God. And because God is holy, he cannot coexist with sin. And because he is just, there must be penalty or punishment for sin. But family, God is not merely holy and just. He is abounding in grace and compassion and love. And his mercy and love and compassion was demonstrated when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, and thus risk in thus purchasing our redemption, our forgiveness, and restoring us into right relationship with God again. Family, if you want to be restored into right relationship with God, if you want to be preserved, if you want to live your life on the truth of who God is, if you want to be escape perishing, actually be granted eternal life, then with every head down and eyes closed, I want you to raise your hand. Take a moment. I'd love you to raise your hand. If you want to get right with God, if you want to live your life on the truth of who He is and be preserved and know Him, I'd love you to raise your hand. Awesome, I see their hand. I see their hand also, awesome. What church, I ask you collectively to pray this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Thank you for giving your life for me. And I now give you mine. I trust in you alone and believe that God raised you from the dead. Today is a new day. In Jesus' name, amen.